Well, good evening. We are delighted and honored to be here at Heritage Baptist Church. We've been looking forward to this for a long time and uh, thank the Lord for the opportunity to be part of your missions conference this week and appreciate the invitation by your pastor. I have a lot of respect for your pastor. I was privileged to preach for him in Ohio, as he mentioned in Columbus, and then later heard him preach at a pastor's fellowship meeting and didn't realize what a great man I had preached for at his church. You know, he's a, he's a good preacher, a good Bible preacher, and I really think a lot of him and hold him in high esteem, and I'm sure you do as well. I am the director of Worldview Ministries, and we are a ministry focused entirely on Bible translation. I pastored in Ohio for 16 years, and when I knew God wanted me to pastor, I told God, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, but wherever you put me, would you please leave me there for 30 years? That was the desire of my heart. I wanted a long-term pastorate, a long-term relationship with, with a, a group of people that we could serve together. And so after 16 years of pastoring and God began turning my heart toward missions, it really was a difficult time in my life. I went through three months of turmoil and uh, long periods of fasting and prayer, really trying to discern the Lord's will. And when, when I was starting to become convinced that God was leading us away from the pastorate and, and somewhere else in ministry, I went to my wife and I said, I think God's calling us to missions. I think God's calling us to leave the church. And she had two responses. <clears throat> First, she said, if that's what God wants, that's what we need to do. That's a good response, isn't it? And then she said, just tell me that this is the call of God and the leadership of God and not just a burden in your heart. She said... If you're having a midlife crisis, go buy a motorcycle. So, so that made it harder because I wanted a motorcycle. And I had never been given permission to get one before that. So, But God led us into Bible translation work. And my burden for my, my learning about and a growing burden for Bibleist people groups began to take over my heart. And I may get to share some more of this with you later, but there's 7,300 plus languages in the world today, and only 717 of those have a whole Bible. About 1,500 have a New Testament, about 1,200 have a portion of Scripture, but over 3,800 languages in this world that still don't have one verse of Scripture. And God has been so gracious to give us nine different projects in six countries around the world and a staff of about 42 people serving with us and we thank the Lord for what he's done. You can pick up one of the booklets on our table over in the gym, and there, there will be a two-page spread in that booklet for each of our nine projects, so you can learn where it is, who leads that particular project, and what the status of it is. We have completed the New Testament in the Runyonkore language of southern Uganda, and soon, uh, probably a year, year and a half, we'll be finished with the Old Testament as well. But we printed and dedicated the New Testament back in 2019, and that was a wonderful day. And uh, we're still working on the Old Testament. And then a couple of other projects we have will probably be uh, coming to print, ready to print within the next year and a half to two years. So we thank the Lord for what he's doing. And we're just so delighted to be here tonight. I want to start out this message. Actually, I'd like to stop and pray first. Can we do that? Would you bow with me, please? <coughs> Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege to be here tonight. We ask that you would draw our hearts and our attention to your precious word. And Lord, my sincere desire tonight is that your voice would be heard, that your spirit will speak to us. I pray you'll fill us all with the spirit of God and give us ears to hear as we look into your word tonight. May the message be clear. 
And may you lay upon our hearts specific responses to what we hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin with this statement, and if you don't write it down tonight, you'll hear me repeat it several times, so I hope you'll get it written down at some point during the next three or four days. God is on a mission to reveal His glory and extend His grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. God is on a mission to reveal His glory and extend His grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. Much missions emphasis and missions preaching is on what we should be doing and our great responsibility with the great commission that the Lord Jesus gave us. Tonight, I'd like to focus not on what we should be doing, but on what God has been doing from the beginning of time. We use the word missions to refer really to our involvement in the mission. But God is on a mission, not many different missions, but one mission. And everything God does is related to His mission. God doesn't waste any days. He doesn't waste any time. He doesn't waste anyone's lives. So everything in the Bible, if you believe what I just said about God on mission, you would also have to believe that everything in the Bible is somehow related to the mission of God. Do you ever read the Bible story and wonder, why is that story in the Bible? Or you read about a certain character and you wonder why his name is even mentioned. Or you get into the begats of Leviticus and the genealogies of the New Testament and wonder why all these names are here and why all these sometimes seemingly insignificant uh, stories and events and names are found in the Bible. But everything in the Bible is somehow related to God's mission to reveal himself and his glory and extend his grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. So this has to become the lens through which we view the Word of God. What I'm reading in the Bible has something to do with the revelation of God's glory and the extension of His grace to the people of this world. If you grew up in Sunday school, how many of you grew up in Sunday school? All right, as a child, you heard heard Bible stories. Uh, I'm going to assume that most of you grew up hearing a random, seemingly unrelated series of stories about the Bible. You would come to Sunday school one day, and it would be on David and Goliath. Another Sunday you show up, and it's on Noah and the ark. Another Sunday you come, and it's on Samson and Delilah. And another Sunday it's on King David. And, and just stories throughout the Bible. And then one Sunday it's on Jesus healing the lepers or raising Lazarus from the dead. And if we're not careful, we grow up thinking that the Bible is just a series of random, unrelated stories that are all neat and they all teach some good principles and perhaps some good truths. But what's the cohesive story? So if God is on a mission, then the Bible is the story of His mission. It is the story of what He's been doing in this world since He created this world. The mission of God doesn't just depend, and the Great Commission doesn't just depend on a few isolated verses that refer to the preaching of the gospel and the proclaiming of the good news. A careful study of God's Word would reveal His consistent, purposeful, merciful desire to reveal Himself and extend His grace to every kindred, tribe, and tongue. So this has to become the lens through which we view God's Word. And... This has to become the lens through which we view our lives. We are to be on mission with God. Would it help you to know that you have not been given an assignment 
to reach this world. But you have been invited to participate with a God who is on mission to reach this world. It is not my responsibility to win people to Christ. It's my responsibility to let the glory of God be reflected in my life and the proclamation of His gospel come from my lips. And God is on a mission to bring those people to Himself. I believe missions is greatly hindered in our churches because of our failure to grasp this fact that it is God's mission and we have been invited to participate. It's been a popular thing in recent years for churches to have a mission statement and I'm not opposed to any of those and and I've heard a lot of good mission statements. But could I just be very plain and say it this way, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. This church is here to carry out the mission of God. Amen? Amen. So the Bible's one story and the subject of the story is the mission of God, His work, His purpose, His activity throughout history to continually reveal Himself and draw people to Himself. So we're going to walk through the Bible tonight and we're going to look at some of the mountain peaks, you might say, of the Bible. We're going to look at some very important places and verses and and characters in the Scripture. And I'd like you to start with me, please, in Genesis chapter 1. Would you go to Genesis chapter 1? And we're going to work our way through the Bible. And before you get too nervous, we're not going to read the whole book. We're just going to read some selected passages. And I'll ask you to turn to maybe all four or five passages as we work through through the Scripture tonight. I want, to start, I want to start with creation, and I'm going to jump through to these major events of Scripture and just really in a very simple, practical way show us how the glory of God is revealed in these things and the grace of God is extended, okay? So let's start with creation. In the beginning, verse 1, Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Did you ever ask yourself, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but did you ever ask yourself why the Bible starts with that verse? Wouldn't it be a good thing if the Bible started with John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Or what about a verse from Isaiah 6.3 where the seraphims are crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Or what about a verse that emphasizes God's grace or, or His mercy? But the Bible starts out with the emphatic declaration that the Creator of this world is the God of heaven. And that separates Him from all other gods. And to be honest with you, I don't think it would matter much to you if He is gracious and merciful if you didn't realize that He is the Creator and you are responsible to Him. So this verse distinguishes God from all other gods. And when Paul stood at Mars Hill preaching to the Athenians who had a hillside littered with all different kinds of idols and an idol in the middle of them to the unknown God, Paul said, Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship? Him declare I unto you. And the next words out of his mouth were these, the God that made the world. That's the God we're talking about. That's the God who started all this, and that's the God who's on mission. So how do we see the glory of God in creation? You probably can answer that before I get to it, but Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork, day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The glory of God is seen through creation. Where's the grace of God? Drop down in Genesis 1 to verse 26, please. 
sorry, yes, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Could I submit to you <clears throat> that God didn't need to create people? I believe he could have enjoyed the beauty of his creation for all of eternity, and everything would have been fine, and he would still be God. But he wanted people. That's his grace. God wanted a people through whom or with whom he could have a relationship. And they could love him and fellowship with him and serve him and worship him. And, and, and he's worthy of worship. Can I get an amen right there? So it's wonderful news, isn't it, that God wanted us. And in verse 28, it follows up with, And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Because God wanted to populate this world with people with whom He could reveal His glory, for whom He could reveal His glory and extend His grace. Let's jump to Genesis 3, please. Let's talk about the fall of man. Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they sinned. You know, they took of the forbidden fruit. And in that, in that crisis, the missionary heart of God became evident. So where's the glory of God seen in the fall of man? I believe God's glory is even revealed in His judgment. He had told them not to eat that particular, of that particular tree. And if they did, they would die and they did die. You know what God shows us there? I mean what I say. You can't take advantage of me. I made you. You're responsible to me. I get to make the rules. That's the glory of God being revealed in His justice and His holiness. The grace of God is revealed in the fact that He's the one who came looking for Adam. Adam wasn't looking for God. He hid from God. He was ashamed. And God, in the, what's called the Proto-Evangelium, shed the blood of an animal and covered Adam and Eve in their shame and their nakedness with that, the, the skin of that animal as a symbol or as a picture of the coming Christ who would die and shed His blood so that all of us could be drawn back to God and experience His grace. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6 and let's talk about the flood. See, we're moving right along, aren't we? <clears throat> Genesis 6 and verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and I love this phrase, the last part of the verse, and it grieved him at his heart. So here, once again, we're going to see the judgment of God on display because the world as a whole had turned against God, didn't want to follow God or have any kind of fellowship or relationship with Him. And God said, that's not the way this is going to work. He chose to judge this world by sending the flood. But look at verse 8 of Genesis 6, and we find these words. But Noah found, say the word with me, please, grace in the eyes of the Lord. So the glory of God revealed in Noah and the story of Noah and the, and the ark and, and, the, and Noah finding grace. And when they came out of the ark after the flood, God said to them the same thing he said to Adam. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Did you ever wonder why God didn't out? Now, when God sent the flood, a whole lot of people died. But did you ever wonder why God didn't just get rid of Adam and Eve? Let's eliminate them and start over because there's only two people to get rid of, not a whole earth full of people. I would submit that God couldn't get rid of Adam and Eve because when he breathed into them, they became living what? Living souls. They're going to live eternally somewhere. God made us as eternal beings to live in fellowship and relationship with him. 
we can jump to Genesis chapter 11. Would you go there, please? Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. And let me just touch on this one briefly because in verse 4, I won't read all these verses, but in verse 4 we have a very clear phrase that explains the reason God confounded their languages and scattered the people. They said in the middle of verse 4, let us make us a name. And I believe God came down immediately in response to that because He wanted us to see it isn't about you and your name. It's about the name and the glory of God. So there's the glory of God revealed. And if you jump to chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, you're going to find that immediately following the Tower of Babel, you have the calling out of Abraham. And he said to Abraham, he said, I'll bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So it looks like at the Tower of Babel, he doesn't want these people anymore. He said, he said you can't understand each other. I'm going to confound your languages and scatter you all over the whole earth. And then he called out a man through whom he could demonstrate his desire still for reconciliation and the redemption of those people that he just scattered. Jump with me, please, now to Exodus chapter 9. Already through one whole book of the Bible. We're moving right along, aren't we? <clears throat> Exodus 9. Now, when we, think about, when we think about the Exodus, the coming out of the children of Israel, it doesn't really look like a missions event at first. But start reading with me in verse 9. I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 13. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people. Look at this phrase. That thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. Look at verse 16. And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. Do you know what God's intention was in delivering the children of Israel? Well, it was, to, it was to release them from the burden of slavery. No, it wasn't. It was to make a name for Himself. It was to reveal His glory. So we find God revealing Himself because He wanted this world to watch this huge multitude of slaves march out of a defeated world power. And He wanted the people to see that so they would talk about Him. And they would come to fear His name. He wanted to establish His reputation as greater and more powerful than the false gods of this world. And throughout the rest of Scripture, often God refers to that event as the time I really showed my power. I really, I bear my right arm. I, 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 I brought you out with my right hand, He says. What did the children of Israel do in response to this great deliverance? You can probably guess this. What did they do so many times throughout their deliverance, after their deliverance from Egypt and throughout the wilderness wanderings? What did they do all the time? Somebody just shouted out. They murmured and complained, didn't they? I had a desire, Pastor, when, when I was pastoring at the beginning of my pastorate, I had read a book about W. Criswell preaching through the whole Bible. And I said, I want to do that. So in my adult Sunday school class, I started in Genesis 1, and I thought every Sunday morning, in the adult Sunday school class, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to walk all the way through the Bible from start to finish. And 16 years later, when I resigned to go into missions, I was in the book of Ruth. I never made it all the way through. But I was in Exodus, and then particularly in Numbers and Deuteronomy, and 
it seemed like every third lesson was on the subject of complaining. And I would get frustrated because I'd come to a passage of Scripture and say, I just taught on complaining three weeks ago, and here they are again. And I kept asking myself, why did these people complain so much? And then I asked myself, why do you complain so much? Right? Here's the answer I came up with, and if you have a, if you have a better one, I'd love to hear it. They complained so much because they thought God delivered them for their comfort. They were unaware that God was trying to make a name for himself all over the whole earth. And you know how God, and you know why God works in our life? Not to make us comfortable or to make us afflicted. God works in our lives to make a name for himself so that his glory can be revealed through us. And we complain because we fail to see that sometimes. We fail to see that He saved us, He delivered us, He brought us out of sin because He wants to use us on mission with Him. We could go to the law in Exodus chapter 20. Before God gives the law, He states very clearly, I am the Lord thy God which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. He gave the Ten Commandments which many people think that's just a bunch of rules, it's a bunch of, uh, a bunch of things God gave us to, to limit our lives. But let me read for you from Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting with verse 5. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, this is Moses speaking, that ye should do so in the land, whether you go to possess it. So you have these laws, and you should obey them in the land that you're going to possess. Listen to the next verse. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. God didn't give us the law to limit us. God gave us the law to light us. So the people of this world would say, you must serve some kind of God. You must serve a very special God. So even in the law, we see the glory of God and the purpose of God to reveal himself to this world. We could jump to Numbers chapter 14. If you would, turn there, please. Numbers chapter 14. And this will probably be the last place I ask you to turn, except at the end of the message, we'll go to uh, a couple of more passages. Numbers chapter 14, we are jumping in here where uh, the, the children of Israel had sent in the 12 spies. 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were... You want to sing it with me one time? No, let's not do that. They came back with their evil report. We can't go in. The cities are walled to heaven. There's giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And starting at Numbers chapter 14, verse 1, the congregation lifted up their voices and wept that night. They got to the point in this passage where they wanted to stone Moses and Aaron and make them a new captain to take them back to Egypt. That's, that seems so unbelievable to us, doesn't it? You were brought out, and look at all that God has done up to this point, and you want to go back to that? God got upset about it too. So jump down with me now, please, to verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, and I wonder if he said this about me before, how long will this people provoke me, and how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I have showed among them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a great nation, greater nation and mightier than they. In the next few verses, Moses begins to pray, asking God not to destroy the people. And I want you to notice the basis of his appeal. He says in verse 13, 
Lord, then the Egyptians shall hear it. If you destroy these people, guess who's going to hear about it? The very people you tried to make a, a name for. The Egyptians will hear it. And verse 14, he says, And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For thou, Lord, art among this people that, uh, art among this people that thou, Lord, art seen face to face, that thy cloud standeth over them, and thou goest before them by day in a pillar of cloud, and by night in a pillar of fire. And God, if you do this, look at all they have seen and heard about so far, you're going to ruin your good name. You know what God did in response to that? Look at verse 20. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. But please notice in the next verse the determination of God to continue his mission. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. It's all about the revelation of God's glory. That's his purpose. That's his mission. And the extending of his grace. We could talk about the conquest of Canaan. Remember they placed 12 stones in the Jordan River and they placed 12 stones by Gilgal. And, and Joshua chapter 4 says, When your children shall ask in time to come, What mean ye by these stones? Here's what you say to them. These stones are a memorial, verse 24, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty. We can talk about the temple. When Solomon prayed the dedicated, uh, dedicatory prayer of the temple, he, be, he besought God on behalf of the strangers who would come to worship there. And he said, when the strangers come in, and they pray in this place. He said, Then hear thou from heaven, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee for, that all the people of the earth may know thy name and fear thee, as doth thy people Israel. We could talk about David and Goliath. You see what we're doing? We're just hitting all these places, showing how God's purpose was to reveal his glory and extend his grace. David and Goliath, David went down in the, in the valley to face the giant and he picked up five smooth stones. And in my own words, uh, Goliath said, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said, I'm going to feed you and your whole family to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And why is he going to do it? That all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. We could go through the book of Psalms and I would encourage you I have all through my Bible highlighted everywhere I find these phrases, all the nations, all the peoples, the glory of the Lord filling the earth. And how about Psalm 72, verses 17 and following? His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in him. Listen to it. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things. And blessed be His glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. We could walk through the prophets. And God called prophets continually to go back to Israel with the message, Come back to God because you're defaming His name. You're not being a light to the Gentiles as Isaiah 43, chapter 43 and following over and over, God is exhorting Israel to be the light to the Gentiles He intended them to be. I would encourage you to work your way through Ezekiel 20 and Ezekiel 36. It is basically a recounting of the history of Israel during the days of the judges. You remember they rebelled against God, they went into slavery, they cried out, and God sent a judge to raise up a judge to deliver them, and that happened seven times. 
And in Ezekiel 20 and 36, that history is being recounted. And here's how God phrases it in that passage of Scripture. He said, I wrought among you for my name's sake. I didn't pull you out of slavery and out of seven different cycles of of judgment and captivity because I, 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 I felt bad for you. I did it because I wanted to be glorified through you in the nations where, where you dwelled, among whom you dwelled. How about the prophet Malachi who said this in chapter 1, verse 11, For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. How about the prophecy of Habakkuk in chapter 2 and verse 14? For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We sometimes pass over that metaphor without thinking about what it means. As the waters cover the sea, water seeks its own level. And if you're standing on a beach at, at any ocean on earth, Atlantic, Pacific, Antarctic, Indian Ocean, you're standing at the same altitude, aren't you? That is a metaphor that says to us, someday the glory of the Lord is going to fill this earth all at the same level. Philippians says it like this in chapter 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's not a hope. That is a promise. That is going to happen. Right now the earth is not filled with God's glory, is it? That's why the mission must continue through us. Let's jump to the New Testament now. Would you go to two more places with me? And I'm going to bring it to a close. John chapter 1. And we're skipping over. We're just skipping over many, many, many places as you can even probably begin to think of different things in your own mind. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 of the same chapter And the Word became flesh, was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. What did we behold? His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If you ask the average Christian, why did Jesus come to this earth? The answer might be something like, He came here to die for our sins. And that's a true statement, but that's not the primary reason He came. He came to reveal the glory of His Father. He said in John 17, 4, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I have glorified thee on the earth. Jesus came primarily to reveal the Father's glory and everything God has ever done is for the primary reason of revealing His glory. And the secondary reason Jesus came was to lay down His life as a substitute for our sins. And you would agree with me, wouldn't you? Jesus was the perfect picture of the Father's glory. He was the perfect revelation of God. And He was the only acceptable sacrifice who who could die on a cross and save us from our sins. After 4,000 years, after 4,000 years of people mocking the name of God and, and turning away from God and rebelling and devising their own way and worshiping false gods and denying God, He still wanted people just like he did back in Genesis chapter 1. And he sent his own son to die on the cross to show us his grace. We could walk through the book of Acts and listen to this statement. Maybe I'll preach on this later this week. But it is in the book of Acts that God gave the church to his mission. Did you hear how I phrase that? 
I didn't say God gave the mission to the church. I said God gave the church to the mission. The mission didn't start in the Gospels. It didn't start in the book of Acts. It started in Genesis 1-1. And the establishment of the church and the empowerment of the church by the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 was for the purpose of the church becoming the vehicle through which the mission of God would continue on this earth. Now let's jump. We could go to the epistles, all through the epistles. Just one verse, Romans 1-5, where Paul said, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. It's all about His name, isn't it? Would you go with me to Revelation 7? I know you've heard this verse before and you've read this verse before, but let's look at it together. Revelation 7 and verse 9. After this I beheld... And lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Verse 12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Do you know what we see in Revelation? We see the end fulfillment of the beginning of the mission. Someday we will stand at that throne with people from every kindred, tribe, and tongue. I've often thought about this. Where will I be standing in that throng of people? I always thought for many years before I even began to realize there are Bibleist people groups and, and, and before I began to understand the significance of God reaching some from every tribe and kindred and tongue, I always thought I'd be standing in the English speaking section. I don't know where I'm going to be. I do know I'm going to hear a, a cacophony of voices in every language spoken on this earth and they're going to be giving praise to the God who is worthy of our worship. When we stand there, what will be in our heart? Of course, we're going to be praising Him as well. But will we stand there thinking, I gave my life to this mission. I was on mission with God. I know I was a carpenter or I was a plumber or I was a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. I know I had to do that to make a living for my family. But I was on mission with God on my job. I was on mission with God with my priorities. I was on mission with God with my finances. I was on mission with God my whole life. Can we stand there someday? Will we be able to stand there someday and know that? Or would we stand there in shame and realize this is what it was all about, but I missed it. My priorities were wrong. From Genesis to Revelation... We see the mission of God being revealed. And in the book of Revelation, we see the mission of God fulfilled. The question is, will we be on mission with Him? I believe God will accomplish His mission with me or without me. But when I stand there, I want to be able to say, I was on mission with you. See, this mission, there's no doubt about these two things right here. This mission includes you. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, the God of glory and grace 
wants you to come to know Him. He made you to walk with Him and worship Him and fellowship with Him. He wants you to see His glory and to know His grace. And if you're here tonight and you are saved, He wants you on mission with Him. Would you bow with me, please? Lord Jesus, I pray that you will help us to see the significance of the mission. Not just missionary efforts that we're involved in in many different places around the world, but our simple and, and, and sometimes weak involvement is just a greater part of your purpose and your heart. It is the dominating activity of history. It is the dominating activity of the Word of God. And it must be the dominating activity of this church and of our lives. And I pray tonight that we will respond to however you have shown us we can be a greater part of the mission. What do we need to do in our lives, Lord, so we can give more, be more, do more, participate in a greater way and have greater impact in the mission of God? Would you help us tonight to be on mission with you? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If God has spoken to your heart tonight in some way and shown you in any simple way how you ought to be more on mission with him, how many would say just somewhere in the message tonight, uh, preacher, the Lord spoke to my heart. Would you just raise your hand? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Thank you. I see hands everywhere. In a moment, we're going to open the altar and our pianist is going to begin to play. And I want to challenge you to pray one prayer. It's a very bold prayer. It takes some courage. But I would challenge you to pray these simple words. Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want, for the rest of my life, I want to be on mission with you. Whatever you want, wherever you want, for the rest of my life, I want to be on mission with you. Would you have the courage to pray that tonight? Would you stand, please? With heads bowed and eyes closed, the pianist will begin to play and the altar is open for you.